Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Friday, March 17th. The first Thursday of the NCAA tournament is in the books. The Saturday games are set. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got a lot to get to, including Indiana's decision to fire Tom Crean and what's next for the Hoosiers. But I wanted to start with uh, the NCAA tournament, and this is a decision rooted in feedback. Don't say I never listen to you guys. I do, and what I gather is that most of you care less about the coaching carousel than than maybe I do. You want to hear about the tournament, about the games, about the matchups. And so what we'll do going forward is discuss the tournament in a variety of ways. And then if there's coaching stuff that I want to get to or Norlander wants to get to, we'll do that at the end. So Indiana fans, I'm going to get to you. But first, Norlander, uh, let me ask, uh, what's your main takeaway from the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament? Main takeaway... And good morning, GP. Good morning. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, my main takeaway was it was the most ordinary Thursday I think we've had in a long time. Um, now it was still good. Like the afternoon session still had entertaining games and games that were close, and a, and a couple that were kind of wire to wire close um, that I enjoyed. I mean, Notre Dame Princeton uh, started off well. Bucknell was always within striking distance of West Virginia. Um, that was a fairly decent game. Watching Middle Tennessee beat Minnesota the way that I expected Middle Tennessee would p- to play, I thought that was fairly interesting. And by the way, not an upset. They were favored at tip in that game. Um, but really, Northwestern beating Vanderbilt the way that it did, I think is the only... I mean, you had the one seeds down early, but that occasionally happens. They come back. It's not even close. Um, I think Northwestern's really the only thing from thursday that has significant carryover um into you know as we record friday and then as we prep for 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 saturday and i do feel for matthew fisher fisher davis um because what had happened in that situation in that game gp was that vanderbilt had trailed most of the way and then here's something i think viewers and fans uh you, you know as you're watching a game and you see the score ticker always you you know the time and you know the score because it's there in your in front of your face the entire time when you're in a game, like knowing time and score is huge. When they go into the huddles for timeouts, you always usually have someone reminding guys how many team fouls they have, how many timeouts they have, what the score is, how much time is left. And Fisher Davis clearly just lost his bearings. He thought that the bucket had got them down one, not put them up one. He misinterpreted what Bryce Drew was trying to tell him and saying, just guard the guy here. And it might have been uh, you know, the body language. He just got confused in the moment. It's, it's in the final minute. Um, he has a little bit of a panic and that obviously puts Bryant McIntosh on the line. Northwestern goes up and then, and then the unfortunate thing for, for Vanderbilt and uh, many people pointed this out on Twitter, including Dan Wetzel, um, Princeton did this and Vanderbilt did this. They settled for not even just a college three, but practically an NBA distance three pointer only down by one point because it was the shot that they could take. That wasn't highly contested. I, I hated the shot. It was a bad final 15 seconds for Vanderbilt. Northwestern moves on to play Gonzaga. But to me, that was the only real story. And I might be missing something small there, GP. But that was the only thing that was like eventful from Thursday, which is surprising because usually we get you know two, three, or four things. It's interesting because I agree with you. Uh, the biggest story of the opening Thursday of the NCAA tournament originates from Northwestern Vanderbilt. And I think you could argue... Uh, the two biggest stories originate from Northwestern Vanderbilt. The, the Matthew Fisher-Davis situation obviously is one. He'll be known for that forever. That's unfortunate, but it's true. And the other one is just the you know, Northwestern not only played in the NCAA tournament for the first time, but won an NCAA tournament game for the first time. Like That has almost been lost in the way that the, uh, the game ended. 
but on a, on a otherwise mostly ordinary opening day, you know, the idea that a school that had, you know, never uh, seen itself in an NCAA tournament bracket until Sunday night uh, actually advances in that NCAA tournament bracket is is a pretty uh, neat story. Uh, we talked last night on CBS Sports Network uh, live to Chris Collins and you know, you can just tell, like, he's living something really cool right now. I mean, how many coaches get to do something at their job that's literally never been done before? You know, like, like you know, John Calipari goes to Kentucky, wins a national championship. That's been done before by a whole bunch of guys. Uh, Adolph Rupp, Joe B. Hall, Rick Patino, Tubby Smith. Like, you're not doing anything that ain't been done before there. I mean, I mean, you can probably set records this ways and that way and whatever, but, like, you know, in terms of the NCAA tournament, it's all been done. And that's the 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 way it is at a lot of schools. You know, guys who are really good at their jobs aren't doing anything uh, that, that's never been done when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Chris is right now. And uh, how about watching Doug Collins in the crowd is about, oh. a, is about as much fun as watching the basketball game. I mean, <laughs> I mean he, is he like super father or what? I mean, he's like every dad you've ever seen at a t-ball game. Just completely stressed out by stuff that he's got – no control over, and it's hilarious. And I think it is the best. I was talking to somebody about this last night. It is the best. I don't know if you're trying to make somebody who isn't a parent understand how how so much more you care about your children than you do yourself. How how you're so uh, uh, how you're so intensely invested in 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 the well being of your children and the success of your children that it really does. Uh, matter more to you than 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 things that you actually do have control over you uh, over matter to you like Doug Collins right now is a perfect example like uh, he's he's coached in NBA playoff games and you've never seen him with those types of facial expressions you've never seen him that nervous and I you know, you watch Rick Pitino at Richard Pitino's games and it's it's sort of similar although Rick is obviously animated on the sidelines Man, you, when you're a, a dad, not a coach, but a dad, watching your son, you know, coach at the highest level, and you got no control over, it is nerve wracking. And and Doug, just the camera on Doug, I can't get enough of that. He is a really good, uh, you know, just a promotional piece for the tournament because it's fascinating to watch him. And listen, as Northwestern was making its run this season, and there would be the cameras catching Doug and the crowd at Northwestern home games, just face you know slamming into his hands totally stressed out and i say this in an in an endearing way he is he is literally turning northwestern purple i mean he is so stressed out there is so much angst in this man's face it's unbelievable unbelievable to watch uh and it is compelling man he is living and dying with every single possession and yeah he's he's like a really composed fantastic color commentator in basketball like he, he he's terrific at his job has obviously coached uh in the pros you know really got uh, got his name as a coach out when he coached the bulls in jordan way back in the 80s but as uh has coached since then and been just a, a prominent figure in basketball for a long time you could argue since he was you know the star at illinois state back in the early 70s i mean he's always been someone that's uh that's within you know the greater community of the sport and to see him you know just placed as a pure out and out father and fan. It's really, 
I mean, it is it is great. I get it if the Northwestern thing is a little insufferable for a lot of people because you got you got all these media people that went to Northwestern. They're attending the game. It's they've never been. I, I get it if you're a little frustrated. Personally, I, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and I say this as someone that went to a you know a small D three school. Like they've never been. Like it's totally cool if they want to have their moment. Like I, I totally get it. I don't begrudge them whatsoever. This isn't this isn't a situation where they've you know gone ten years in a row and suddenly think Northwestern's you know the class of college basketball. It's it's literally the first time they've ever been to the tournament. So it's it's all good. But uh, and now we get Gonzaga Northwestern and. Uh, because of the uh, cynicism toward Northwestern, I wonder if this will be the only game in the tournament where people will actually will root for Gonzaga. Because <laughs> otherwise, people want to see that team lose so bad. And maybe even then it won't be strong enough. Maybe even then more people will be pulling for the Wildcats. But uh, obviously that will be a, a certain game of note on Saturday. That one will be a CBS tip at 5.15. I'm with you on Northwestern. Like, um like I get it. Like you, you might be tired of all the purple and all the Northwestern tweets and Facebook posts from just people in general, but but lots of media members. But it's a little bit like I felt with the Cubs going to the World Series, and it was just Cubs, Cubs, Cubs in your face all the time. Like I got a whole bunch of friends who are Cubs fans, including you. Um, like it's all new to you guys. Like you've never been favored to win a World Series. Like been in a position to win a World Series. Like enjoy it. Take you know, soak it up as as much as you can. And so I don't uh, begrudge Northwestern fans at all. Like you should be enjoying this. This is this is first time stuff by definition. And now you get an opportunity to knock off uh, the uh, you know a team that has been ranked number one in the country uh, for for much of the season. A team that's lost only once all season. A team that. Uh, was in a, a battle in the first half on Thursday against South Dakota State, but ultimately outscored the Jackrabbits. Shout out to the Jackrabbits. Yes, shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. We apologize to both of you for skipping you on the last podcast. We got scattered a little bit for a variety of reasons and just forgot an honest mistake, but a, but a regretful mistake. It will not happen again. They outscored the Jackrabbits 40-24, Gonzaga did, in the second half and pulled away. But Gonzaga Northwestern, I honestly, I don't think Gonzaga is going to struggle with Northwestern. I think they're going to handle them pretty easily. I do too, GP. Um, now, Gonzaga got off to a sluggish start against South Dakota State. And then they just kind of rounded halfway decently into form. It wasn't even like vintage Gonzaga this year, and they still won by 20. Um, I love the way Gonzaga matches up with Northwestern. Uh, in terms of size, most notably, um, in terms of their style, I do not expect this to be too close of a game. Now, maybe Northwestern's got a little bit of a, a magic juju going on, and the game will wind up being close, and it'll be a great scene in Salt Lake City. Wouldn't object to that whatsoever, but I'm thinking Gonzaga by 10 to 12 points. And I mean, do you want to pivot that and kind of talk about what we got on tap for Saturday here? Is there anything else from Thursday you want to hit on? Well, um, you know, the Xavier Maryland game is a perfect example of something I wrote about, uh, you know, earlier in the week, which is that if I were Xavier as an 11 seed, uh, I wouldn't be too upset because I got, uh, you know, about the best matchup you could get for an 11 seed in the round of 64. They had a Maryland team that had not been playing well, that had lost a starter to a season ending injury. And I won't tell you that I wasn't that that I predicted Xavier was going to win by double digits, but uh, Xavier did win by uh, double digits, and it's just a, a reminder that uh, your seed uh, matters way less than your matchup. Like I pointed out earlier in the week, Oklahoma State's a ten seed; 
they got a better seed than Xavier, but they got to play Michigan in the opening round. What would you rather do in the opening round, play Michigan or Maryland? Be the 10 seed or the 11 seed? I thought it was clear. You'd rather be the 11 and play Maryland. And Xavier sort of hammered that point home. So they get to advance to the round of 32, which is uh, honestly a pretty nice achievement given everything they've they've been through. They uh, lose Edmund Sumner to a season-ending injury. They lose Miles Davis to whatever it was they lost Miles Davis to. And yet they still are in the uh, uh, round of 32. So that's a good uh, – I think that's – even if it doesn't go any further than that, that's a good little development for Chris Mack. It is, and Xavier looked – they look good. Um Looked ready, prepared. Maryland made a push. Uh, X brought the hammer heavy after that. And I thought Xavier would win. Um, and listen, uh, Sean O'Mara had, had the, you know, the best game of his career. And he actually looked good in the Big East tournament as well. So that's a big development. Although, speaking of big, they will certainly have uh, their hands full with a Florida State team that played. Listen, the Florida State-Florida Gulf Coast game was entertaining. Like, that was probably top two top three watch now dunk city did not ever you know take a late lead and it was hovering in that five to nine point barrier so we did not quite get to that tense moment with five three two minutes to go but it was entertaining and for you know for xavier to get florida state i i think florida state will win Uh, they're extremely large human beings and they can step out and they can shoot it um, Dwayne Bagans, Xavier Rattan Mays are, are really capable. Uh, to me, if Xavier beat Florida State, even though Xavier, when healthy, was seen in the preseason as a top 10 team, I, I don't think they are that now. And given what their roster is now, I, I view Xavier as a, a team that hovers right around that top 25 level or whatever. I would actually consider Xavier over Florida State to be a, a fairly you know, sizable upset. I don't know what the line is. Um, I'm guessing, if I had to guess that, GP... I would say it's Florida State. People will probably hit Xavier again on the line, so that might bring it down. But I'll say Florida State 5.5 would be my guess. Do you know it yet or no? I have not seen that line posted yet. Kim Palm's got it projected as a Florida State four-point win. So, you know, it'll be right around that. And if I were a betting man, and I might be, I would probably, <laughs> uh, I'd probably lay the four points. I think Florida State wins that game. I just think, you know, Xavier had not been playing well down the stretch. And I don't think that – and I mean this with all due respect to, to Chris and the program and the players and all that stuff. I don't think that what we saw on Thursday was, ooh, Xavier. Look, I think I just don't think Maryland was very good in its current form. And I think they probably took took advantage of a of a of a not very good Maryland team more than anything else. And so, uh, listen, Florida State is you know Leonard Hamilton's trying to get to his third Sweet Sixteen of his career. Um, you know, he's my, been around a while. By my, the way. That, that's my point is that they, they you know, this is kind of uh, un, unusual stuff for them. And there are people out there who simply do not trust Florida State. Uh, but I think Florida State is uh, if I'm if I'm Leonard, I am thrilled that this is my round of 32 matchup. Like it could not have worked out better for me than to play a Xavier team that is uh, shorthanded and didn't really play that well down the stretch. Like basically down the stretch, all they did was beat DePaul and Butler. Didn't they beat Butler in the biggest tournament? They did. Yeah, yeah, so they beat Butler. And that's impressive. I can't, but like Butler has shown itself capable of losing to inferior teams this year. They've done it multiple times. Now they've beaten some great ones too uh, Villanova, uh, Arizona, Cincinnati, so on and so forth. But uh, Butler has shown itself to be able to lose to inferior teams. So, you know, perhaps that's what happened with Xavier Butler. Outside of that, it's basically been, um, outside of that, it's basically been, 
wins over DePaul down the stretch. And so I'll take Florida State to win comfortably. And let's while we're doing this, let's just go through these Saturday games, sort of the way we did uh, earlier in the week uh, for the Thursday-Friday games. We've already discussed Northwestern-Gonzaga. We both think Gonzaga wins that pretty easily. We both think Florida State handles Xavier. Uh, we'll take it in terms of uh, order of tip. Notre Dame, West Virginia. I like this game a lot. This is one of my favorite games for Saturday. It's a 12-10 p.m. Eastern tip on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Mike Bray going back to the Sweet 16 again or no? I have Notre Dame here. And listen, Princeton was to be commended the way it played. Um, that That was a close game, closer than I thought it would be. What You know, both these teams got pushed in their first round and so i always like to see if if the major conference teams get through after close games how they respond um you've got notre dame which by the way they won the game the best free throw shooting team in college basketball and they missed like two of their final three free throws or whatever so it was even closer than it needed to be against princeton Princeton had a shot a clean look in the air that like if it goes in that's it right it was just long i know but again they settled for a a way too long three-pointer like, I get that, but yeah, I know. It, it, if it goes in, we've got a huge moment. That would have been, been the biggest thing from Thursday, but didn't happen. Um, so Notre Dame is really good at taking care of the ball. West Virginia is do you, really good at do you, do, you, do you know how good? Uh, are they the best? Are they are they number one in, in the country? How think? about this? This is an interesting matchup. 351 Division One teams. West Virginia turns opponents over more than any team in America. I believe the percentage is 27.8. Let me double check. You don't that. believe it, you know it. <laughs> no, no, I no, it's, it's not that it's not something you believe. That's down to the decimal point. 27.9. I I knew it was 27 point something. I wanted to make sure. So it's 27.9% of the time West Virginia is going to turn its opponents over, right? That ranks number 1 in the country. Meantime, Notre Dame only turns the ball over 13.8% of its own possessions. Also ranks number one in the country. We have a matchup here between a, a team that turns its opponents over better than anybody else in the country and a team that doesn't turn the ball over better than anybody else in the country. That's it. That's really cool. Really fun. By the way, that will be the only – so you know how Saturday always goes, people. Uh, CBS gets the standalone first game and then the standalone second game. That's the new model with, uh, with the, you know, over the past five, six, seven years with Turner. Um, so Notre Dame, West Virginia – will be the only game to start off on Saturday. I actually think it's got a pretty good chance of being a pretty good and close game. I do like Notre Dame, uh, but West Virginia obviously certainly capable. I will trust Bray here. Fun coaching matchup. Really two two, you know, two coaches that are characters in their own in their own kind of ways. Um, give me the Irish. Yeah, I think uh, and I have no idea who I actually picked in my bracket. I, I just don't know. Uh, but I think I would take Notre Dame here uh, for the reasons that I just stated. West Virginia cannot beat you unless you turn the ball over. Like that, that, that is why Hugs went to that style of play. Like you know, when I when I talked to him in advance of his 800th victory, and we were talking about you know why he went to press Virginia, his answer is a very simple and short answer. I had to couldn't win games the other way. You know, I can't. I couldn't recruit the type of basketball players that some of these other schools are recruiting. I just we don't get those guys. Uh, for the most part, we don't get them the same way Kansas gets them. We don't get them the same way other people get them. So I had to come up with a style uh, to understand that we're going to miss a lot of shots because my basketball players aren't going to be as skilled as some other people's basketball players. So I'll, I'll, we'll just play a style that's going to get me more opportunities to make the shots. Like I could, I'll miss more shots than anybody else, but uh, hopefully I'll get more shots than the other team. 
and uh, that'll be enough to, to, to give us more wins than losses. And it uh, undeniably has worked well. But my point is, Notre Dame doesn't turn the ball over. And so if you can't get Notre Dame to turn the ball over, you can't beat Notre Dame. And that doesn't mean that Notre Dame won't turn the ball over. It just means that statistically speaking, they are literally the most unlikely team in America to start turning the ball over. So I'll trust that, and I'll take Notre Dame as an underdog. I'll take them. Stir. 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 Okay, it's... It's back. <laughs> I'll allow it. Take Notre Dame. Would you take Notre Dame? We're both on Notre Dame. Yes, I'm on Notre Dame. What's the uh, What's the next tip after? Next that? game, two forty p.m. Eastern. It is on CBS. That's America's most watched network. It is the network of stars. Villanova, Wisconsin. I think Villanova. I actually think Villanova has no problem here. I think Villanova wins this pretty easily. A lot of people on Wisconsin to either win or definitely keep it close and interesting, given they have plenty of experience. You've got guys like Bronson Koenig, who turned into a different animal altogether in the tournament. He's just capable of making big shots. Hit another uh, hit another big bucket against Virginia Tech. I do think that Villanova wins this without too much push. Give me like give me the Wildcats by a comfortable seven point margin, so to speak. But this is you know. It's not a fun matchup if you're the reigning national champions getting an underseeded Wisconsin team that's made two Final Fours in the past three years, got to the Sweet 16 last year, you know, has a really good um, trio between Hap and Koenig and Hayes. But I will take the Wildcats to break through. Um, hope it's a good one. Should be. Uh, but, yeah, I ultimately don't expect Wisconsin, who, let's remember, has— while a good team, and I do think a good team, like I still think that's the second best team in the Big Ten to Purdue, um, has without question had its stumbles, inconsistencies, and Villanova is so much more well-rounded. Off the top of your head, Wisconsin's best win this year. That's great. Oh, boy. Off the top of my head, and I don't have their schedule up in front of me, so I'm trying to truly think. Um, they lost at Purdue. I'll help you. Um, no, no, hold on. Let me just try and guess real quick. Uh, okay. is, it, is it in conference or out? Well, they had a they had a pretty impressive win in the in the Big Ten tournament. Um, so that's their best win was in the Big Ten tournament. I think so. Probably they beat Northwestern by like a million. That's right. Oh yeah. See, see, I'm at I'm at the ACC and Big East, so I didn't even see the game. So that's why. Okay. So they, that's the best win. Yeah. They okay. well. Okay. So they beat Michigan back in January when Michigan wasn't playing well. And according to the RPI, which is not the way to judge teams, but I'm just looking at the RPI page, uh, they beat Minnesota twice. Minnesota is right. their is their best RPI win. Here's my point. Minnesota, the team that just got handled easily by Middle Tennessee, a Michigan team when Michigan wasn't playing well at all, uh, a Northwestern team on a neutral court, which is fine, but, like, whatever. They, they didn't beat a team like Villanova or anything close to Villanova all year long. Not all year long. You know, they played North Carolina on a neutral, got handled by 15 points. Uh, they lost at Purdue by double digits. Uh, they actually lost to Michigan twice. Uh, they lost at Creighton, lost at Michigan State. They haven't beaten anything close to a Villanova caliber team all year long. And it doesn't mean that, that you know, uh, Saturday won't be the first, you know. But I, I Villanova's beaten teams like Wisconsin all year long. Wisconsin hadn't beaten a team like Villanova. Not even, like, hadn't, like, hadn't come close to beating a team like Villanova. All year long. I'll trust that. 
Yeah, so uh, Villanova over Wisconsin. The next game to actually tip will be that Northwestern-Gonzaga game, 5.15 p.m. Eastern on CBS, America's most-watched network. It's the network of stars. And then 6.10 p.m. Eastern on TNT, Xavier of Florida State. We've been through that one. We both think the Seminoles win it uh, fairly easily. And then this is a good one. Primetime on TBS, 7.10 p.m. Eastern, Middle Tennessee and Butler. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Uh, when I look at Saturday's games, uh, if I'm being honest, I think I'm looking forward to a game we're going to get to still. I think it's actually the next game to tip after this. But this is number two. I wrote a quick quick little column on Middle Tennessee on Thursday, and it was more. It was basically, hey, this was what we expected this team to be. They're 5-0 and against the Big Ten in the SEC the past two seasons with an average win margin of almost 13 points. That's incredible. LSU should hire Kermit Davis. They should be trying to make that happen literally today behind the scenes. Um, Middle Tennessee is just damn good. They're really good. They're almost as good as Butler, and on a given day, they're definitely going to be better than Butler. I picked Butler in this game in my bracket. Uh, I'm guessing the line... I'm going to guess the line is Butler minus two. That's my guess. Three and a half. Oh, boy. Give me middle. Definitely give me middle to cover that. In fact, I might even have some remorse at picking Butler in this spot. Um, the way that I just love the way middle plays. They they simply do not play with any sort of um, sense that they're intimidated by their opponent, like at all, no matter what, every time down the floor. I love, uh, you know, Ja'Cory Williams. Giddy Potts, who's right there with Scoochie Smith for the best name in this tournament, and uh, and Reggie Upshaw, who had a huge 9-0 run up all by himself to kind of separate middle after Minnesota made a push. Um, really good game. I have Butler in my bracket, but and Butler played well against Winthrop. They, that, was, that game was never in doubt. They were ready. Holtman's a really good coach. Um, I will take middle to win this. Straight <laughs> up. Uh, I got Butler advancing, but like I don't feel confident about that. This is a total. I, I, the point spreads. I believe Butler minus three and a half or four. I, it's three and a half and posted on one page, four uh, on another page where I looked. But either way, Butler the obvious favorite. I, I think it's more, more of a coin flip. I would probably against the spread just take the points. If I think this game could go either way, just give me the four points. Um, but. Uh, Middle Tennessee is a, a classic example uh, of of the flaw, and we've talked about this uh, at length since Selection Sunday, so I don't have any interest in ranting about it again. But the way with the committee evaluates teams doesn't doesn't lend itself to properly seeding a school like Middle Tennessee or a school like Wichita State. And the reason is because all the committee cares about is top 25 RPI wins, top 50 RPI wins, top 100 RPI wins, and middle just cannot get them at the rate that some of these Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, Pac-12, uh, even Big East schools uh, can get, SEC as well. Um, so so you look at them and you go, well, well, who have they really beaten? Let's just make them a 12 seed. And then they go in as a 12 seed and, and are at, at tip-off favored over your 5 seed. Same way Wichita State's favored over uh, a 7 seed uh tonight in the round of 64 and so yeah this is a 12-4 game middle tennessee butler but it is a total toss-up game and as for kermit at lsu it makes a whole bunch of sense like if if, if kermit should be on the short list at lsu 
if Ben Hallen is to take one of these jobs, because his name's been connected to NC State. You know, there's a couple Pac-12 jobs that are open now. Obviously, you know, Ben has flourished in that league before. He's a West Coast guy. Uh, Washington or Cal, either one would make some sense on some level. If Mississippi State were to open, like I, if Mississippi State were to open, I don't even know that, like Ben could leave on a on a Wednesday and you could introduce Kermit on a Thursday. Like I mean, he's from Mississippi. His father coached there. Like that to me, that's just that's that's an easy easy deal. Like I would love to be the Mississippi State athletic director if I lost my coach now because it'd be the easiest coaching search in the history of coaching searches. Just go hire. Uh, Kermit Davis but I do believe one way or another we could be not definitely because you never know you know every one of these jobs five different guys are listed for them and only one guy can get each job and so sometimes it just doesn't it just doesn't open up for a person and perhaps that'll be the case for Kermit this year but I do think it's possible we're watching his final days uh, at Middle Tennessee but that doesn't mean I I necessarily think they're going to lose on Saturday I'll pick gun to head got to pick somebody uh, I'll, I'll take Butler, I guess, but against the spread, I would feel comfortable just taking the four points and let it go down to the to the final minute. But either way, uh, if Middle Tennessee wins, we get Kermit Davis winning uh, a third game in the NCAA tournament in a two-year span uh, at Middle Tennessee, which is pretty remarkable. Or you get Chris Holtman, uh, you know, winning another game for the third straight year at Butler, three years at Butler. Uh, three uh, uh, three times advancing in the NCAA tournament at Butler, you know the, you it's there's you know that's why Chris is on a lot of people's short list to maybe uh, be uh, the next head coach at at some other school. I don't know that he's going to leave Butler, but he's uh, on a lot of people's wish list, and uh, the reasons is because what he's done there has been nothing short of amazing. Butler was picked sixth in the preseason Big uh, Big East poll, and now they're just one more went away. Again, a game in which they're favored uh, from going to the Sweet 16. And then, yeah, I'm with you on the next game. 7.45 p.m. Eastern tip on CBS, America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. I think this is the best one on the schedule. St. Mary's, Arizona. Arizona looks like it's about a uh, three-and-a-half to four-point favorite. Um, Arizona had no real issue with North Dakota. St. Mary's played the most unwatchable game of Thursday just because there were 52 fouls. A lot of that was VCU induced. St. Mary's actually does not foul. They're not a team that that's known to foul. They have one of the lowest foul rates in the country. Now, yes, this is certainly a game St. Mary's can win. We had talked about this on the previous podcast. Maybe this team is really, really good and just matches up poorly against Gonzaga, but it looks really good against a lot of other competition. I do think that's the case. They only won by eight against VCU, but it felt like a 16 to 18 point margin for much of that game, even though VCU was trying and trying and trying to scrape back. Really looking forward to that uh, on CBS. And, you know, Arizona is the only team on Thursday that got to triple digits. Um, This game will be a game Arizona wants to have in the mid to high 80s. St. Mary's will want it to have want to have it in the high 50s slash low 60s. We'll see who wins that. I do get the feeling that it will balance out in this final will uh you know teams will finish in the 70s i think it'll be close i will take arizona give me them to the tune of say 75 70 but um very intrigued by this and and i will not be shocked if st mary's wins not not one iota you and i agree completely on this game i'll take arizona but uh that says nothing about st mary's i think st mary's is really good Uh, i won't be surprised if st mary's wins the game 
me picking Arizona is is simply a, a byproduct of how much I think of Arizona. Like I think Arizona is one of the eight teams that can win the national championship. Uh, so I'll pick them to go to the Sweet 16. But if St. Mary's wins this game on the network of stars, it will not surprise me uh, in the least. 8.40 p.m. Eastern tip on TNT. Virginia, Florida. Florida's a one-point favorite. Give me Virginia. I'll take the underdog in this game straight up. Ooh, um, yeah, I, I think I have to do I mean, one, I had it in my bracket anyway. Two, I, I thought I had Florida winning, but I had picked East Tennessee State. Yeah, it didn't work uh, out for us. That didn't work out for us. Although, although Steve Forbes gave a great pregame speech, but it just didn't work out for us. Yeah, he dropped, he dropped Noah and Horford and Brewer, and um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he straight said, I he straight said, I've, I was a Tennessee assistant. I've seen great Florida. This is good Florida. Noah Horford and Brewer <laughs> are not walking out of that tunnel. Let's go get what we deserve. Oh, and I stood up, at, I stood up in my hotel room. I was on my couch. I was like, let's get, let's get what we deserve, Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Devin, oh, and, then, and then and then Devin Robinson dunked on him like seventy times. Oh, he was awesome, and the guards were great, and the guards are fast. And this is a game where the you know Florida and Mike White and his his guys want to go. Um, that that backcourt can freaking move. Obviously, Virginia will try and do the opposite. I will take the Cavs. In this one, um, I, I I hope it's a good game, but we'll see. Um, obviously, it's not one that has massive appeal because Florida doesn't really have a player that a lot of people know. And Virginia obviously carries a reputation of, of playing slow and not having the best brand of basketball. But I will say London Paranis um, had some really nice moments in that win over Wilmington. And for them to do what they did in terms of going small and maybe playing with a little more pace was impressive. I do like the Cavs to win um, kind of similar to Villanova. I think they'll win by single digits, but it will be comfortable, and I don't think that Florida will have a sense of threatening to take the game in the Final Five. And then the last uh, game on the schedule for Saturday, 9.40 p.m. Eastern tip. It's on TBS, Iowa State, Purdue. I don't know. I don't love – maybe Purdue, but I, – Yeah, I mean, and we're already – that's it, huh? Yeah, that's – that's we've hit through this entire schedule. That's great. Um I have Purdue. I feel pretty good about it. Uh, Vermont played well against Purdue. Actually, that game kind of went the exact way, honestly, that I thought that it would. Um, Iowa State, I love Monty Morris. Deontay Burton continues to kill rims. Uh, who do they, like, how, are they going to put um, Burton on Swan again? How are they going to match up there? And actually, I'd mentioned, like, Purdue actually went big against Vermont. They put their... Three bigs, uh, Vincent Edwards, Isaac Koss, and Caleb Swanigan on the floor. Painter has not done that most of the year. He almost never does it. Um, but he, he went to it maybe because he thought Vermont was anticipating the, the exact opposite. I don't know. So I'll be interested to see lineup-wise what he does in this. I will take Purdue. Um, that could, that has, I think that has nice potential to be a terrific uh, nightcap. That'll be the final game, the final tip. That might be flirting with you know midnight finishers or whatnot, and we always love when we get that final game at night uh, to at least give us some interest. I think it's got a good chance, but I will take Purdue. It's a total toss-up game. I think Purdue's a one-point favorite at this moment. I'll take Purdue as well, if only because I want to see Caleb Swanigan's uh, historically great sophomore season continue, or at the very least, I would prefer to see it continue. I still would love to see that Kansas-Purdue possible Sweet 16 matchup where you get Frank Mason and Caleb Swanigan on the court together. Uh, so I'll take Purdue, the four seed, to knock off the five seed in the final game in Saturday's round of 32. Before we get out of here, uh, there was a massive story in college basketball yesterday uh, away from the NCAA tournament. 
literally within a like within a minute of the NCAA tournament tipping on Thursday, uh, Indiana announced that it had fired Tom Crean after nine years. Uh, on one hand, he went to three of the past five Sweet Sixteens, uh, won two of the past uh, five uh, outright Big Ten titles. Uh, on the other hand, he never went past the Sweet Sixteen. And this year was bad, a 7-11 Big Ten record that uh, culminated with a loss in the NIT uh, to Georgia Tech on Tuesday night. Um, I do think it's kind of wild that this is a, a, a team, a coach, who beat two number one seeds earlier in the year, North Carolina and Kansas, and then you know ultimately had to play the season without two starters. Now, everybody knows OG Ananobi was hurt, uh, but like Colin Hartman also didn't play at all this year. That's two starters that he thought he was going to have back from last year's team who who weren't uh, available for him throughout the Big Ten schedule. And, like, I don't know how many teams in the country could lose two starters and, and survive it. Maybe Michigan State is, a, is an example from this year. But the list is pretty short. And the idea that that would be uh, – because if he doesn't lose those two starters, I, I think Indiana's in the NCAA tournament. And if Indiana's in the NCAA tournament, I don't think they fire Tom Crean. So I can't get real excited about somebody losing their job over uh, bad luck. But the truth is, it reminds me a lot of when UCLA fired Ben Hallen. They just wanted something new. They were just ready to move on. And I totally get that from, from their perspective. It's not what I would have done if I were Indiana. I think Indiana had a good basketball coach. And, um, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, for Indiana's sake, I hope they can find another one. Uh, but uh, I totally get it. If the, if, the, if the decision is just rooted in, we're just ready to move on. Our fans have had enough. Our fans don't believe in our coach anymore, even if our coach is good. Um, we all need a fresh break from each other. So I'm Fred Glass, the Indiana Athletic Director, and I'm going to create that fresh break. Here we go. Like, I don't agree with it, but I do understand it. Yeah, I do not believe, you know, from my perspective on the outside, I don't think I would have gotten rid of Crean because of the injuries. Um, but... You know, let's again, let's understand how Fred Glass is operating. And I'm going to work under this presumption because it really is the only rational and reasonable one. If I'm Glass and I know that I can get it, I mentioned this on the previous podcast, but I'll repeat myself. If I know that I can get a top three candidate like on my list, one, two, or three, and I'm convinced that any of those guys will get the program to more consistent winning NCAA tournament bids and second weekend appearances at a minimum on a consistent basis then i make the move so if he's if he's got that you know pinned down and he thinks that he can make that happen i get it anything short of that i disagree with it um for them to announce this within 120 seconds of the ncaa tournament tipping off i was pissed <laughs> like it's not what i wanted in that moment i want to enjoy notre dame princeton in the start of the tournament and all of a sudden you get this Notice in your inbox that that creams out. And I'm like, you have got to be freaking kidding me right now. Um, an all time, an all time uh, stealth move by Indiana there. Um, Alfred is the name to look for. He was asked about it. Did not say I will not take the Indiana job. It should be noted three years ago he signed a 10 year deal with New Mexico uh, right at the start of the tournament, and within you know a week, it might have even been three days. Um, he takes the UCLA job, which is obviously understandable, but in the moment, New Mexico fans felt super, super, super burned by it, given the, uh, the fact that he had just signed a massive deal with the Lobos and had just turned around and gotten out of it and gone to UCLA. So will Alfred want to go? Um, 
because Indiana can pay him a lot of money. Um, and if he does, does that open up UCLA? You know what we talked about there. Otherwise, reasonable candidates. I, here's my opinion. Uh, it will either be Alford or Archie or Greg Marshall or Chris Holtman. It will be one of those four. And I would say that's probably the order that they would go in. Maybe there's a candidate where like I hear this stuff about like Fred Hoiberg. I, I mean, I think it'd be great if college got him again and maybe he's going to lose his job after two years with the Bulls. And maybe that's totally reasonable for that to happen. I don't know if him landing in Indiana is something that I think it could work. Uh, but if I'm Indiana, I might want to go with the with the guys I mentioned first. Um, but we'll see. But that's that's my general take on, right. on the situation there. It is a top 10 job. And this could create even more dominoes. And yes, we now have a busier coaching carousel than I think people expected even four weeks ago. Uh, on Hoiberg, uh, people in the NBA, front offices, they don't like to admit mistakes. And if you fire Fred Hoiberg after two years, after running off uh, uh, Tom Thibodeau, it, it's it's to admit a mistake. Like we, It's to admit we should have never run off a guy to go get Fred Hoiberg. I don't think they want to do that. I think Fred's back at Chicago next year. Um the other name's been thrown out, Billy Donovan. I just don't think that makes sense from a calendar perspective. No NBA coach is going to walk away from an NBA playoff team before the playoffs are over. Regular season doesn't even end until April 21st. Then uh, the Thunder are going to be in the Western Conference playoffs. I mean, we're talking about into May. Is Indiana going to wait till May to hire a coach? No. So Billy Donovan's not reasonable. Brad Stevens, not happening. He doesn't want to return to college basketball. He enjoys the NBA life. He enjoys just being a basketball coach. Um they might flirt with Tony Bennett. I don't think he makes oh, that yeah, move. That's right. uh, if I'm Tony, I don't think I make that move, though, GP. I don't, I don't either. I don't either. Why? You can do what you're doing at Virginia, and people appreciate it. You go to Indiana, and the AD is basically already saying, like, you better win a championship and then go try to win another one. Like, I don't. why, if you're Tony Bennett, do you want to walk into that? Um, you got everything you want at Virginia. Just stay at Virginia. So I don't – like, Tony's next move, I think, will be the NBA. It won't be – I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think he coaches at Virginia, or then it's on to the NBA. I totally yeah. agree. I think Tony's next coaching job is in the NBA. He'll be at Virginia until he's an NBA coach. No sense in taking this Indiana thing. Um, they might ask Sean Miller. I've heard that. But, like, I don't know if that makes sense. But maybe. I mean, I doubt it. I don't think Sean Miller leaves Arizona for Indiana. Here's here's the interesting thing with Offer. He's got a $7 million buyout. If you were UCLA, nobody's paying $7 million to hire Steve Offer just to get the opportunity to hire Steve Offer. All right? That ain't the way that's going. So, but if you're UCLA, do you lower the buyout to let him walk? Because keep in mind, it was less than a year ago they were flying banners saying fire Steve Offer. And, and I don't get the sense that UCLA fans – uh, attribute what's happening at UCLA right now to Steve as much as they attribute it to Lonzo. And so when Lonzo leaves, you're still with the guy who you were flying banners to try to fire last year. Here's my prediction, because if you listen to Fred Glass talk yesterday, he, like, is so Indiana. Like, oh, I know. It was, it was... It was... Like, like, like I, I walked away from the press conference going, this dude might consider hiring Bobby Knight. He loves the history of Indiana so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, it's kind of wild. So here's what I think. Total just prediction, just a prediction, a guess. Indiana targets Steve. They negotiate a lowered buyout with UCLA. He leaves UCLA to become the Indiana coach. And Greg Marshall's the next coach at UCLA. I think that is certainly a scenario that could very well happen. And the, yes. and the total fallback option, Archie Miller. 
I think Archie Miller would be. Yeah, I think Archie is one that if you you put four million dollars on the year for Arch, he's not going to turn. He just can't turn that down. It's Indiana. It's four million dollars. So I think I think Indiana goes for. I mean, they might go a whole bunch of different places first, like Brad Stevens, Bill, all that stuff. And then when they find out that's not happening, uh, make a move for Steve, get a lower buyout. He leaves UCLA, goes to Indiana, and then uh, Greg Marshall becomes the next coach of the UCLA Bruins. That would be my prediction of how those dominoes fall. Shout out, to, shout out to Terry Teagle. Shout out to Toby Bailey. <laughs> shout out to Tyus Edney. There we go. Now, now we're feeling it. And shout out right to and shout out to them O'Bannon brothers. Did I ever tell you the great O'Bannon brother? Who was it? There was Alex Dillard, I think, at Arkansas. When Arkansas loses to UCLA, 95 National Championship game, there's a reporter in Alex Dillard's face. And he says, hey, what would you think of the O'Bannon brothers? He's like, those O'Bannon brothers are good. He's like, yeah, but like how good? He's like, yeah, man, those O'Bannon brothers, they were really good. He's like, but like how good? Have you ever seen anything like them? Alex Dillard looks right at this buddy of mine who's a uh, a reporter. He looks right at him and says, them O'Bannon brothers is the mother effing truth. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They were, though. They were the MF and truth. That's a fact. And remember, you can, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. We're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. Can we do Sunday night? It'll be we can't we can and we will and well, we'll just you well, know let, let wait me, till that final game let starts, me, you know no no it won't even be that I'm in studio till two a.m. Oh my goodness yeah on Sunday you're in studio till two two a.m. I think we have a show from one to two live. All right, we're doing Monday. There's no shot. I'm 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 doing it. <laughs> I'm not recording a podcast at two fifteen in the morning. I'm also not. I'm also flying first thing Monday morning, so we'd have to do Monday afternoon. You're committing to Monday afternoon. It's fine with me, but we're committing to Monday afternoon. Good Lord. Yeah, all right. That's Listen, that's what's going to have to be. So Monday afternoon, as soon as you can get home to record, we'll record as soon as possible. We'll do a wrap-up of uh, of the stuff that we missed and or, you know that we didn't get to on this one because we can't foresee the future, at least in some regard. And I then can't. We'll, uh, and we'll, we'll preview the Sweet 16. Word to Big Bird. We'll talk to you on Monday afternoon.